are going to uh, look at uh, a special message on this Father's Day. And our text that I want us to look at this morning is found in 1 John 3.1. So I'd like us to turn there together. You can uh, uh, see on the screen here, and indeed, uh, it's going to be on your device at home, whatever that is. Um, but let me just read this. Uh, 1 John 3.1 says this. See what kind of love the Father has given us. Now, you know, in other translations like the NIV, that says lavishes upon us, that rich word lavishes, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And so we are. I'm going to leave it at that point. You know, when you read this text, there were really, there's really three questions, I think, that jump out at us. The first is, why are we called children of God? You know, what does it mean to be a child of God? We've heard that phrase, but what does that actually mean? The second question, I think, is what kind of love is it that the Father lavishes upon us? Do we truly know what what we mean when we say the Lord loves us? Do we fully comprehend the magnitude and the scale and the richness and the depth and the breadth and the width of that love? And thirdly, just this statement really struck me. I don't know about you. It said, what did it say? And so we are. That really is an invitation. And it's a question for all of us to ask ourselves this morning. And so I want to look at those, those three questions this morning. And let's start on the first one. Why are we called children of God? Well, we know God as creator, don't we? I think we get the fact that It's God who flung the stars into space. He keeps the planets in motion. He is the creator, the almighty God. He is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. He is everywhere. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And, you know, even those who don't necessarily profess to having a faith would say phrases like, I know there's some higher power. You've heard that all. There must be some kind of creator God. I think instinctively we have this sense and indeed we can just look at nature to come to that conclusion that there has to be a God. But other religions have this notion as well, don't they, of God, the creator. But I would venture to say this is where the truth of Christianity differs over other religions. You see, at the heart of the Christian faith is the answer... To this question, what is our relationship to this God? What is our relationship to this omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God, creator, almighty God? What is our relationship? And the answer is the distinctive of our Christian faith. Now, as I was thinking about uh, Father's Day, I was reflecting on my own father. Uh, my mum and dad live in Australia now. Many of you know that they came visiting recently. And I, I was, and for many of us, you know, we use this as an opportunity to thank God for our fathers. And the Lord reminded me of two particular photos. So I thought I'd share some of them for you. And I want to share this first photo. It's going to be on the screen now. Here it comes. There we go. Now, just to clarify, that's me on the left. That's my dad. Now, this was my first birthday. And uh, you can put it back up. It's still there. Um, You've got to love those 70s haircuts, haven't you? 
Now, I don't, I don't know. You can go back. Let's hold the phone. Let's, let's not show those ones yet. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know whether I was copying my dad or probably my dad was uh, copying me. Um, but, um, you know, what does this show is that he and I are creating each other's image. Like I'm creating his image. You know, two peas in a pod kind of thing. You know, we had a laugh together. I clearly found that quite amusing. And so this is a truth that I think we need to understand about our heavenly father, which is that we are created in his image. We are creating this image so that we can do this with our father. You know, let's read together Genesis 1, Genesis, uh, sorry, Genesis 1, 26. It says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. You know, we hold, unlike any other created being, a unique place in his creation. We have a unique relationship with the almighty God. We are created in his image. We laugh together about the same things. We cry together about the same things. We smile together. We play together. That was the intent. That is the intention. That just like me and my dad were having a laugh over putting our probably cake or something in our mouths, so God has created us in his likeness so that we would be his sons and daughters and play with him. That is the truth and reality of it. And let me show you the second one. Let me show you this. You can put it back up now. This second photo. It's a bit embarrassing, really. There I, there I am. Now, um, clearly, I don't like wearing trousers or anything like that. Um, but what am I doing? It's not that my mum my didn't know what size shoes I was. It was the fact that I would put my dad's shoes on and his back, and I wanted to go to work like my dad. I wanted to be like my dad. You know, I wanted to uh, be like him and go to work with my dad. You know, I remember as a kid growing up and imagining what my dad's place of work looked like. Uh, you know, my dad worked in the automotive industry uh, in London and they would provide car components to all the garages and dealerships around London. And as I was growing up, I used to imagine what it would be like. And the only point of reference I had was my school classroom. So I imagined that he would be on a desk with his pen and paper with, with everybody else. But there was something in me that I wanted to do my father's works. And that is the same with our heavenly father. You know, it goes on in, in, in Genesis 1, 26 to 27 that says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You and I have been designed and created to do our Father's work, to be enlisted into the Father's business, into the family business. That is what it means to be a child of God, that we've been created in his image and that we want to do our Father's work. You know, even Jesus, you know, Jesus said in John 5, verse 19, he says this. So Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, then the son does likewise. That's what it means to be his child. That we, just like me, wanting to go to work and be like my dad, that we have been created to be like our heavenly father. And so the challenge and the invitation there is, are we actually looking and seeing what the Father's doing and say, I want to be part of that? Or do we have our own agenda? But, you know, while I said those are the two things that it means to be a child of God, and there are many others, 
The truth is, is that something got broken. Something changed, didn't it? We know the story of Adam and Eve. Two things happened, you see, when Adam and Eve decided to move out of obedience with with God, with their father. Two things. Number one is the image of God became corrupted. And the second thing is we became separated from our father, no longer his children. That is what happened when sin came in. And the truth of it is we are born into that position. You know, it says in Ephesians 2 that we actually have became children of wrath when that happened. And so, you know, oftentimes people will say, we're all, all of us, all of God's creation are are children of God. I'm sorry to say that's not correct. You know, if you carry on reading uh, in 1 John, it says you're either a child of the devil or a child of God. Now that feels quite strong, doesn't it? Because you want to be able to say to people, well, you're a child of God. But you see, if you say that to everybody, the question is, so what's the point of the gospel? Well, if I'm a child of God, what's the point of Jesus going to the cross? Why? Because this strikes at the core of the gospel message, which is that Jesus died on the cross to restore our relationship with our heavenly father where sin had come and separated us from him. Our father loved us so much that he said, you know what, I'm missing my kids and but yet sin is there and so I'm gonna send my only son to die on the cross in their place to bear that punishment and Jesus' righteousness is gonna be given to them in order that they can once again be my children. You see, that strikes at the core of the good news. That is the invitation for everyone, which is, do you want to be a child of that almighty God? Do you want to call him Father then the good news is he has made a way through his only begotten son, Jesus, who died for you. And so when we're called children of God, it is because of the spirit of God in us that enables us to cry, Abba, Father. That's what the scriptures say. So let's move on to my second question. And I want to uh, touch on these areas, which is what kind of love is it that God the Father lavishes upon us. What kind of love is it? You know, and as I said, on Father's Day, it gives us an opportunity, doesn't it, to reflect on our earthly fathers and to thank them. I was grateful to God for my children this morning who gave me some gifts and a lovely card that said, uh, you're the best daddy. Bless them, if only they knew. (laughs) I wish I could uh, be all that the card said. (laughs) But, you know, for some of us, of course, you know, our, our earthly father relationship was a little bit more complex and, you know, maybe there's a little bit of hurt or forgiveness that needs to happen. And so, you know, we need to be aware that oftentimes when we look at our heavenly father, oftentimes we do do so through the lens of our own experience with our own earthly father. And being part of many pastoral conversations and prayer ministry, I know that that could be a huge thing. If there's a father that was absent a lot, then you can see your heavenly father has been absent. You know, if your heavenly father was extremely strict and you felt as if you needed to earn his love, then oftentimes that can be the lens by which we see our heavenly father. And so what I want to do is break some of those lenses. We're going to do some lens smashing. And I'm going to give you six, six ways in which, and there's so many more, I an infinite number of the love of God, but 
for the purpose of this morning and indeed because of the time, I'm going to give you six reasons, six examples of his love. And for some of you, as you hear this, the Holy Spirit might prompt something in your heart, which is, oh, I really felt a lack of that from my earthly father. Don't, Don't run away from that. That's the Holy Spirit inviting you to get some healing. And for some of you, maybe it's like, oh, Lord, you know what? I forgive my father. And for some of you, you're going to, I'm going to touch on these. You'll be like, yeah, that was my dad. What a great opportunity to say, thank you, Lord, for my father. As I've done this, you know, um, it's, it's not Father's Day in Australia. They have it at a different uh, time, which the problem with that is I know that's the case. So I often forget to send him a gift when it's Father's Day here because I'm like, well, he doesn't need a gift because it's not Father's Day here. And then when Father's Day comes in Australia, I forget because I haven't got it in my diary. So dad, if you're watching, happy Father's Day. Um, I don't know what time it is in Australia. It's probably very late. But as I went through this, this, I had an opportunity to say, thank you, Lord, for my father, for the love that he poured out upon me. All right, here's a six. And given the time, I'm not going to go into any detail, but in order to do lens smashing, we need to have some truth. And so in each one of these, I'm going to give you a Bible verse that you can hang this truth on. And you might want to write these down or note these uh, as, as we go through. Right, the first one is this. He is always there for you. Unlike me as a father, and as I mentioned, when I got that Father's Day card, I was like, ooh, I wish I was like that. I'm sure none of you feel that, but God is never in a mood like I am with my children. Uh, he's never too busy or distracted on his mobile phone. That's not because he doesn't have a mobile phone, but because if he did, he would still not be distracted. Just to clarify. Should I confess this? Go on then, why not? You love me all, don't you? You're not judging me, are you? And Daniel's safely in Ventureland, so he can't hear. Uh, he and I were watching uh, Top Gear. I love Top Gear on BBC One, and I love watching it with my kiddies, especially Ellie and Daniel. They re- really like to watch it. And I was watching it with him, and there was a, he, he was particularly uh, in a mood where he was asking me lots of questions. And I don't mind answering some questions, but it got to the extent that he kept asking me questions that I had to keep pausing it. What's the next question, son? Yes, da-da-da. Okay, let's, should we press play? Yes, should we carry on watching? Oh, okay. And I've got to be honest with you, I, I really wish on hindsight, I was a little bit more patient with him, but I just wanted to sit down and relax and watch Top Gear. But you see, our Heavenly Father is not like that with us. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to spend time with you. What do we learn from the Scriptures? Hebrews 4.16, the, the writer to the Hebrews said this, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Go with confidence. And other scriptures talk about boldness. You know, it's not like you need to say, I wonder whether the Father is busy at the moment. He's, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He, just because someone else is spending time with him doesn't mean that he hasn't got time for you. And, and maybe growing up, you, were, you had many siblings and maybe you felt that was with your earthly father. But I want to say that our Heavenly Father has time for you. The question is not, has he got time for you? The question is, do we run to him with confidence? Do we run to him with confidence? Only this week, as I was just going through my, my days, I was like, oh, Lord, I just need to spend time in your presence. Be still and know that he is God and he is your Father. And so the first thing I want to say to you is this. He is always there for you, whatever you need in whatever situation, whatever circumstance you're going through. 
Whether you need his peace or his wisdom or the joy of the Lord or an ear to listen, to share, he is there for you. And listen, I know this can be a difficult concept because we can't physically see him. But you see, as we allow the Holy Spirit in us, he makes the Father known to us. But you see, it says in the scriptures, seek and you will find. It doesn't say give God a cursory look and you'll discover him. And I know in my life, that's what happens when I want to see the Father. I give him a cursory look. Oh, he's not here. And I get that bound down to my business. Imagine that you have lost your car keys and you are running late for an appointment. Boy, you do some seeking then, don't you? That is the kind of intentional seeking we need to give our Heavenly Father. All right, number two, he knows you intimately. You know, uh, psychologists and psychotherapists will tell you that one of the deepest human needs is to be known. Not just to be known, but to be intimately known. How do we know this to be true? Well, because oftentimes what we see is that we often will hide our true selves from people for fear of rejection. Maybe you have a little commentary in your brain that goes something like this. If they only knew what, they, what I was really like, they wouldn't want to spend time with me. If only they truly knew what I'm thinking right now, they would think I'm the worst person on this planet. And maybe, maybe for you growing up, you lived in an environment where you didn't feel like you, you were truly got, you know, they just don't get me. But I want, you to, I want to say this, your heavenly father knows you intimately. Why does he know you intimately? Because he created you. I love it when I have <laughs> conversation with my kids. I'm like, darling, you're really tired right now. No, daddy, I'm not tired. You don't know me. <laughs> uh, I kind of know you. I know, how, you, you're not inside my brain. I know myself better than you know me. And if you had that as fathers or mothers, darling, I know you well enough by now to know that you're tired right now or this, that, and the other. I have any fathers the same. It's like, you just need to rest. You don't know me. I've got very important things to do, thank you very much, and I am pretty strong. You need to forgive that person. You don't know me. You don't know what they did to me. Blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. But I want to tell you, your heavenly father knows you intimately. In fact, the scriptures say this. Let's read Psalms 139, one to four. Oh Lord, this is what the psalmist says. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Parenthesis, you can't hide anything from God, by the way. I know we think we can. I do that sometimes. God won't see this, surely. You search out my path. Whoa, he searches out my path? You mean he's that interested in me? And my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. <clears throat> you think that's amazing? Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. I reflect on my kids sometimes. They go to open, um, don't say it. I know exactly what you're going to say. Don't say it. Did you ever get that from the Heavenly Father? Nope. You really don't want to go there. I've had that before. Lord's prompted me, don't say that, Mark. It's something recently. I said it to Steph, and I knew I shouldn't have said it. And I said it, oh, that was a mistake. The Lord said to me, don't say it, Mark. You know, it says in the Scriptures, doesn't it, that he knitted us together in our mother's womb. The reason he knows you is not because he observes you, it's because he created you. Just, just, just take that in. 
The reason he knows you is not because he observes you, although he does. It's because he created you. He made you who you are. That's how he knows you. He knows how you are. And that leads me on to the third point, which is this. He has a plan for your life. You see, because he knows you, in fact, because he's created you, he knows exactly what he's created you for. Are you getting this? God has created you for something amazing. You know, Steph and I are watching uh, something on BBC called Outlaws. Has anyone seen that, The Outlaws? Yeah, it's very good. Um, the second series at the moment is written by Stephen Merchant and um, some other very famous actors and actresses in it. And there's, um, I won't spoil it for you, the plot line, but there is a, one of the girls in it. I say girl, she's 18, 19. She grew up in a family environment. And because she was very clever, her parents had a desire for her to go to Oxford. They pushed her, they pushed her. You need to go to Oxford, we want you to go to Oxford. And that was just not on her heart. She did not want to go to Oxford. In fact, because of that, she lived a life of rebellion. And she rebelled from that plan. Why? Because it wasn't her plan, it was their plan. But you see, our Heavenly Father does not give you His own plan. He gives you a plan that's tailor-made for you. You know uh, the book of Esther, we, a wonderful, beautiful story about Esther who became queen and Mordecai, her uncle, and Haman and the others wanted to get rid of all the Jews and read it. It's a very small book, but there's an interesting line where Mordecai is encouraging Esther to speak to the king. And what happens in Esther 4.14, Mordecai says this, and who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? I love that. It's a bit of a, the Lord's like, ah, you're finally getting it, aren't you? You have been created for a reason and for a season. Just as Queen Esther was created and God had a plan for her, so God has a plan for you. We'll trip up on the stage. That'd be funny, wouldn't it? God has a plan. So ask the question, what is your plan? What have you created me to do? Because it's in that place that you will find fulfillment. And as I said, maybe growing up, your, your father gave you that. And I certainly thank God for a father who allowed me to explore all numbers of possibilities. And I thank him for that. Maybe this is a point for you to celebrate that in your father. Or maybe you felt as if your father wanted to give you a plan. But our heavenly father, you see, created you for something amazing that only you can do. And that leads me on to our fourth point. Are you with me? We good? Wonderful. You do not need to earn his love. That's the kind of love he pours upon us. You see, society has redefined, or should I say not redefined, but has not understood the agape love. God, I mean, gets eros love, right? And for those of you who know, you know Greek, that's a different kind of love. But you see, the world would say that your love, the love that you receive is on the basis of how you earn it. But you see, that's not the love of our Father. Romans 5.8, this is the verse for this section. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, why is this the case? Because God is love. He doesn't love us because of what we do. He loves us because of who he is. He doesn't love us because of what you do. He loves us because of who he is. It is his nature, it is his character, it is an attribute of our Heavenly Father that he is love. 
And when he looked at the world, he said, I love you all so much. So I'm going to send my only begotten son to die in your place. You haven't done anything to earn that love, have you? You see, a relationship with God is not about earning your salvation through works. It's about simply saying yes to that invitation to being his child. How simple and yet profound is that? How simple yet profound. Number five, this is the kind of lavish love. He always forgives you. He will always forgive you and he always forgives us. Psalm 86.5, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished. What does that mean? No sin you have committed is too big for the act of Jesus on the cross. He died for all and for all sins. And it says in the scriptures that as far as the east is from the west, so our transgressions have been removed from us. That is how powerful and potent the blood of Jesus is. It covers over all our sins. And so here's the thing, friends. Your heavenly Father will forgive you for whatever it is. Why? Because he is abounding in love. Maybe guilt and shame is holding you back and you're, you're embarrassed or whatever it is. I think this morning, the Lord said, I want to be your daddy. I want to be your daddy today. Are you going to come to me as my, as, as my child? Because I want to pour out my forgiveness on you. And maybe some of us have, over time, we've just got a bit of a hardened heart towards our heavenly Father because we've got some shame that's really deep-rooted. God is saying, I forgive you. And number six, our last one. His abounding love, he disciplines you because of his love. Disciplines you because of his love. I know that discipline in our modern era has a very negative connotation, doesn't it? When you hear the word discipline, you typically think of what? Punishment, severity, anger. I mean, I know as a parent that there is a very thin line between discipline and anger. I know sometimes I have good intentions to discipline my children, but before I know it, I'm shouting at them and angry. Discipline is, there might be righteous anger in that, but it's not just blowing your top. What is discipline? Discipline is like, in our garden, we've got some, some plants and some rose bushes, and we have a trellis. And a trellis is there, as many better gardeners than myself will know, is designed to enable that plant, that flower, whatever it might be, to grow strong and well and in the right direction. You see, discipline is God's trellis for your life. Because he knows you, because he knows what plan he has for you, because he is conforming us to the likeness of his son, Jesus, he has put a trellis in your life. And so because of his love, he will discipline you. Proverbs 3, 11, 12 it says this, my son, my daughter, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as the father, the son he delights in. I think for some of us, maybe we need just to take a step back and say, Lord, would you discipline me? Oh, that's a dangerous prayer, isn't it? 
Who's brave enough to pray that one? Lord, I welcome your rebuke. What? You see, if you didn't see God as your heavenly father and just this omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God, you would not dare say that, would you? Holy God, almighty God, would you rebuke me? Ah! But when you see him as your loving heavenly father that chastises you in order that you can be all that God's created to be and be like Jesus, then shouldn't we welcome that? Shouldn't we say, Lord, would you rebuke me in my error? Would you train me up in all righteousness? Would you equip me? Would you guide me? Would you chastise me? I think this is probably one of the things that we least get out of those six things. But there is so much fruit there if we are willing to sit on our father's lap and say, Daddy, what am I not doing right? Daddy, would you help me? That is the invitation for each one of us. I'd like to invite the band up as I recap, (coughs) excuse me, and as I end with the third question. So just as a way of recap, what is his lavish love towards us? He's always there for you. He knows you intimately. He has a plan for your life because you've been created uniquely for that tailor-made path that he has. You do not need to earn his love or approval. He will always forgive you and he disciplines you because of his love. Anybody want to experience that kind of love? (coughs) And then it ended, didn't it, with this, so are we. And that is the question I want to ask you this morning. Are you his child? Are you his child? Maybe you're here this morning, you've been here many times or maybe the first time and you've yet to recognize and realize that the invitation is there for you to be a child of the heavenly God, of our heavenly Father. And this morning as I invite you all to stand, I would not be doing my job if I didn't provide you with an opportunity to respond and say, I want this almighty God to be my heavenly father. What does it take? It takes saying yes to Jesus' atonement from the cross. Can I just say, we often say, don't we, and I said it earlier, that we, we do not work for our salvation. The inheritance that is ours, which, what is that inheritance? The riches of his glory to be with him for eternity is not something you can earn based on your performance of how good you are. You know, my, I think we've probably got a bit of a reputation in our street that we uh, shout quite a bit. We're a Mediterranean family, I'm, I'm, you know. And, uh, and my kids are wonderful, but they're not always the best behaved. The same as many kids, I'm sure. But my neighbor's kids, I never hear a peep out of them. Honestly, I suspect they're probably the world's best performing kids. But here's the truth of it. They will never get my inheritance. Doesn't matter how good they are. They're not my children. But my children, warts and all, and how beautiful they are and they are, they receive my inheritance. Why? Because they're my children. That's what the gospel message is. That's why you cannot earn your salvation. Because it's about relationship with God. It's about being his child. And in that place, he takes us as we are. 
And he promises to lavish his love upon us. Let's just bow our heads as I pray. If you're here and you've yet to say yes to being his child, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front or do anything like that, but I am going to ask you just to put your hand up where you are so I can see. Every eye is closed and every, bless you. If there's anybody here that has yet to say yes to Jesus, why don't you just raise your hand where you are so I can see. Bless you. We're going to pray this prayer together out loud. And this prayer is a simple prayer. It's a prayer saying, I want to be your child. So repeat after me. Almighty God, I thank you for the invitation to be your child and for you to be my father. On this Father's Day, I say yes to you. And I say yes to the work of Jesus on the cross. I recognize the sin in me and that Jesus has paid it in full. And I receive Jesus now as my Lord and as my Savior. And I run into your arms as your child. Amen.